Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm the founder of the Think Tank for Women in Business and Technology and the FemPIC platform, with the mission of raising women's socioeconomic status. Our guest in today's podcast is Rob Baker, a great advocate of equality in the workplace who actively supports women's career development. Rob has a fantastic track record as a leader in diversity and inclusion. In 2020, he left Mercer, the global HR consulting firm, after a distinguished 42-year career, and he is now involved in numerous projects, platforms, and advisory roles in this space. Robert is someone who puts his money where his mouth is, and I can vouch for that because he has also invested in FemPeak, where he is helping us build a bridge between women in business and technology and large corporations. So here's my conversation with Robert. So part of what I wanted to talk to you about today was like, why did you decide to invest in FemPeak? Um, you know, you came to one of our events as a um, as a speaker, as a panelist, and you know, I felt that we really were aligned in terms of the goal that we have at FemPeak. And uh, it was great to then talk to you. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know that you were going to invest, but it, it became, uh, you know, it really, it, it was great to have you on board. Uh, it is great to have you on board. But I just wonder, you know, as a man, um, you know, a lot of times when we reach out to people with our uh, outreach campaign that we are doing, if some people who get the message, they are like, why are you contacting me? I'm a man, you know, and... Um, and I just wonder what is, what goes on in their in their head uh, that they think you know that that they give us that kind of response and and how can we have more people like you how can how can I attract more allies you know and also why do you think it's important to have more allies in that sense you know from not just men, different genders, you know? Yeah, so it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts on that. Okay, well, uh, it's uh, great to chat with you about this. And um, I, I think the really good news is actually uh, there are more men like me who, who really want to be allies uh, for, let's call it gender equality or gender balance, uh, et cetera. And I mean, I've been involved with this kind of movement for quite some years now. Uh, I've been on the board of Women's Networks and still am on the board of a couple of Women's Networks. Um, and you know what I see with some of the events that we put on is there are, there are, there are a lot of men out there that really do want to engage with this, um, and you know quite a lot of senior men. So we're running events for uh, you know CEOs and C-suite uh, men who really kind of get why this is important, uh, important to them personally, but also important to their businesses. Uh, and 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 so I think it's kind of reassuring that that you know it, it, we can't stereotype and say well you know not all men are interested in this because I mean, I think actually there are some men that really are um, passionate about uh, making a difference uh, really. And I think that's kind of what I uh, wanted to do right at the beginning. I wanted to kind of get involved in a world which I didn't think was very fair. You know, like I, to me, it didn't seem right that we didn't have more gender balance in organizations. It didn't seem right to me that, that women's careers weren't able to advance in the same ways that men, that men didn't somehow think they had duties of childcare, elder care, home care, all of that kind of stuff, you know, that we had such a gendered approach to work, uh, which I thought was, you know, not good in the work environment and not good for business, but also not particularly good at home either. And I think the pandemic has really brought 
that out in in an even more uh, sort of extreme um, uh, view, as it were, because the pandemic's been very hard for women. I think because they've been homeschooling kids, they've been, you know, potentially trying to juggle all their work and and run the household. Sometimes uh, it's been great to see some of the men stepping up, but again, I think probably hasn't been enough of of, of that. Uh, but I think there are, um, you know, a significant number of men out out there who do want to engage, who do want to go to know more and to do more. But some of this is about them finding a way to be able to get to that place. And uh, as men, we're kind of brought up to reject everything feminine, you know, to, to kind of not be thinking of ourselves as kind of feminine in any, any way. So when we're approached by another man about getting involved with this, it somehow seems more appealing than if we're approached by women to get, in, get, get involved. I mean, personally, yeah. I've always been comfortable around uh, women and in women's networks. I've often been the only man, you know, for example. Uh, but you know, for me, that, that hasn't been an issue, but I know for other men that, 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 that that's more of a struggle sort of for, for, for them. So I think, um, you know, one of the things I think we have to do with the gender balance movement to get more men involved is to find ways to, uh, you know, to, to, to explain it to men, to use language that, that, that is inclusive to men and to, to help them feel actually there's something for them in this, which is my kind of key point, which is men benefit from gender balance because we liberate ourselves from all those expectations of the alpha male world uh, that we have, which a lot of men really struggle with, you know. Uh, and I think one of the things that attracted me to, to, to the women's networks and, and, and you know, learning more about uh, what the lived experience of women, for example, was that, uh, you know, it, by doing that and by helping bring about a bit more gender balance, actually I freed myself to not be a typical alpha male. I could explore some of the sides of me and being a man in a non-stereotypical way. So it's all about, for me, breaking down the stereotypes and biases around what women do typically and how women are and what men do and how men are. And I think it's great to see, we're starting to see a lot more of interest in that, uh, but, but obviously there's, you know, there's still a lot more to do. Definitely. So when you talk about um, you know, that there are a lot of men who are willing to help and want to be part of um, such an initiative. You're right, there are some. Um, but then one of the challenges that I have is that even after I find those people and they want to come in, they, for example, they're like, look, I'm happy to come in and help your um, audience with negotiation techniques, for example, or, you know, or I can come and teach them um, you know, finance, right? Then we run into a different problem. The reason why we are building such a network is to highlight women who are doing these things mm. to teach, uh, to, to show other women the uh, potential role models or all, that's why we call them, role model maybe it's not the right word. That's why we came up with our own wording, Sherpanis and Ranamas, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah which is like, it's, it's not exactly a role model, um, it's more of a mentor slash champion, you know, in, in those areas, right? And the problem we run into is that sometimes I'm not entirely sure how to collaborate with men. You know, I would like them to be part of it. But sometimes if I, let's say, for example, if I bring you to teach uh, a group of women how to negotiate, the problem that we run into is that then they're going to say, okay, of course he's going to be confident. He's a man, you know, of course he's going to, you know, uh, like be comfortable around numbers or, comp uh, you know, or finance or whatever. He's a man. You see, that's why I'm trying to show women more women who hmm. 
have confidence who do those things right um but at the same time i think i think it's great to have men on the panel and and in the discussion without making the women feel like of course you know he's going to be good at that you know Mm. it's it's typical you know it's a thing that men do um so i wonder of all the various organizations that you've been part of um how have you seen different people tackling this and and overcoming it um and has it been effective well i think i think the first thing to say is actually uh i'm quite horrified by the prospect you might bring me in to try and teach anybody anything um because i think when i as a man one of the things i thought i had to do first of all was listen and acknowledge the fact that there was loads that i didn't know uh and i think that's maybe where it, it is a challenge sometimes for men to acknowledge that actually this whole series of things that we are not aware of and, and, and not familiar with and that actually you know we can learn from women so actually I, I you know I think a great opportunity for you might be to set up events for men where they can actually learn about you know kind of uh, how women see the world and, and listening yeah absolutely and uh, I, I think that's a great sort of starting uh, point uh, and um, you know what it, it, I mean I've been involved in various organizations where we set up men's uh, groups if you like and, and one of the things that I did right at the start uh, of one was I played a video to the men of what women were saying about their experiences in the workplace. And it was incredibly powerful because the men had never been forced to sit and listen to uh, like a six, eight minute video of women talking about what their lived experience was in the workplace. You know, the fact that they were talked over, that they were assumed to be more junior than they were, uh, you know, some of their ideas were stolen, that kind of thing, you know, the, uh, and the meetings were timed at times when uh, they weren't sort of family friendly, et cetera. Um, so, uh, you know, so the women talked about their experiences uh, and there was an aha moment for the men in the group because it's like, wow, you know, we've never realized that this is how our female colleagues experience the workplace because of course they'd never experienced it that way. Um, uh, so so, so, so for, for, for me, that was a kind of great way to start the, the session because it got them thinking, my God, the stuff we don't know and we have to listen to and then we have to think, okay, so then how do we respond as leaders to what we're hearing? How can we do things differently? And, and, and so I think there's an element of kind of, you know, men being humble a bit at the beginning of what they don't know and um, how that they can learn. But I think what can then happen is um, men get into the kind of competitive bit where they say, okay, well, now I want to do more, okay, and I want to step up and I want to be an ally. And, and then they're almost competing with each other, you know, to see who can be the best ally, you know, and uh, it's kind of interesting. I think if you're really clever, you can exploit that natural competitiveness that seems to be there in the male environment to kind of get them competing to be the best uh, ally. But 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 not to be saviors or champions or, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, it's, that, that's not such a great place to kind of position it because uh, women don't need saving. I think that's the first thing. Um, and, and, you know, men don't need to be put on any more pedestals than they've already been put on, you know. So I get quite embarrassed if anyone says to me, oh, how great, you know, you're on a board of women's network and all that stuff. You know, I mean, like I've often described it as I'm very humbled to be the, invited onto it. It's been a massive learning and personal development for me. And I would say to most other men, you know, get yourself involved with a women's network or a women's group or whatever it is, because there's so much learning for you as a potential, you know, as a leader, as a human being, you know, uh, and, 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 and so I think it's um, striking that balance of getting them to listen, being a bit humble about what they don't know, but then maybe tapping into a little bit of their competitive spirit to kind of uh, say, okay, so what can you guys do now then? So how could we 
uh, you know, how can we create a better future? And you get them to get involved in co-creating it. And I'm involved in, in a session on Friday, actually, where we're going to be working with a group of CEOs, co-creating a future where they have a huge say in what they're going to do to make uh, the world a better place from a gender balance uh, point of view. I love the co-creation uh, idea. You know, I was talking on a um, clubhouse event the other day and I said that uh, they were like, okay, so where do you see Fempeak going? What, what do you want to eventually? I said, eventually what I want is for Fempeak to become obsolete. And they, they were like, what? Uh, but then um, you can't say that to an investor. I said, I can, because it, then it would morph into something new. It will become human peak, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it will become a lot better and stronger, you know. So we're building fan peak to level the playing field so that then we can build a future together, right? And then that's when we can look at, you know, us and machines, right? And how yeah. we're, we need both genders in this age of merging with technology you know in 21st century we're potentially merging with technology um, we are increasing like i'm wearing you know look at how many smart uh, devices you know even my my uh, ring i've got this other thing here which i put on my earlobes it basically helps me relax and you know meditate etc but all of these devices are being mostly designed by men yeah. um, so i think it's so important to have women at the table when we are designing these things and you know for women to start companies to build these tech startups and uh, whether it's biotechnology whether it's um ai uh, all of those things, you know, finance and you know, blockchain, all that stuff. So it's so, so important to have women in those. Completely. And, and, you know, like women are sort of 70 to 80% of consumer decision-making, uh, you know, kind of, uh, they have massive say in what happens. And, it, you know, any company that doesn't really recognize that and, you know, get more women into their leadership or into their product development or, or whatever is missing a trick, uh, basically. But why do you think that is? Uh, sorry to interrupt, but why, why do you think no. this? Because, because it, what you just said, the, the decision-making, the, you know, the um, consumer decision-making, that seems obvious, but at the same time, it seems like companies still develop their products and market their products in a way that is more male-oriented. Oh, it's amazing, for example, to find that there are fashionable uh, goods manufacturers where the board is probably mostly men, and but they're designing products for women. You know, it's kind of like... I mean, look um, at the high heels, right? Yeah, yeah. So actually, I thought, this is really funny. I, I've been saying this to my team for a very long time. I said, when we become a really big com- company, you know, when, it, when we've got like hundreds and then thousands of people, we're going to have one day a month where men have to wear high heels. <laughs> Like, why? I said, just so they get a feel for how much it's, how painful it is, right? <laughs> so have you come across this guy called Jeffrey Halter in the US? Uh, he runs a company called Why Women. And he's one of the guys out there that's actually trying to educate men about women's experiences, etc. cetera. Uh, but but he, come, he, he does a, a TED talk where he comes onto the stage in high heel with red pumps, you know, like these red high heels, you know, it's like quite amazing. I need to so check should, that out. You need to check that, check that out. Um, you know, I, I, I've tried it for a while back and it's very uncomfortable. So I, I think we men certainly kind of like, uh, you know, why the hell would we want uh, ourselves to, to wear shoes like that? But of course, we'd say they look great on women, wouldn't we? And um, I think it does look great. Um, of course, you know, aesthetically. Now, the reason why I think it looks great could be because of the association. Let's say, for example, if I had never seen 
uh, you know, Louboutin shows or, or shoes, or, mm. or if I had never seen, you know, the uh, fashion uh, uh, designers, all that stuff. If I had never seen that, and if if I just were dropped here from Mars, you know, for the first time, and so a woman in high heel, would I still think that it looks great? Or is the association that makes it look great? So I don't actually know that. It may well be that uh, there is something inherently beautiful about high heels. I, I do really like the look of them, but mm-hmm. I don't like how uncomfortable they are. So I've always thought one day I'm going to create high heels that are comfortable. And, you know, wow. and there are so many things that uh, you can do. Like, for example, I always have to buy a half a size bigger and then put lots of padding around. And I'm like, why can't they put the padding in from start? You know, like yeah. they can do that. <laughs> so, so what you should do is start a business that does that. I mean, I, am I right in thinking the woman that developed Spanx, for example, was like, because the product didn't exist. And so she thought, what happens if I've I, yeah, yeah, in, 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 you know, develop this product? And, you know, she's probably a multi-millionaires now uh, or whatever. I, I think, um, you know, it, it is really important, I think, from a consumer point of view, that there's more voice for women, um, but not just, you know, listening to women as consumers, but also getting them involved in the decision-making process in the in the executive teams, et cetera, that are involved in, the, in these organizations. Um, so I think there's massive more scope uh, for that. Uh, and, and the men that I'm working with, these CEOs, et cetera, uh, really get that i think and what they're looking to to do is to try and find a way to you know build their own path to to make that happen in their organizations and and and, you know and sort of spread the word and um there's a there's a phrase called manbassador which i've heard a few times which is that kind of like what do you call a man that's you know supporting women is it you know uh, and i don't really like the uh, the word as i mentioned uh, you know sort of uh, that depicts a knight in shining armor or whatever i think it's basically we're allies and actually I think we should be getting into activism, right? I mean, this is the key for me, is to say, look, okay, it's one thing to talk about it. It's how you become, uh, you know, really active in this field that's that's important. And I think there's a journey for men that they need to go on. And I mean, I've coined a journey called the six A's, if you like, which is, you know, not rocket science, but it basically starts with men being more aware. So that's the first day of where they're starting from and the starting point for women as well. Then this acceptance uh, about their privilege and their advantage that they have, they need to really accept and understand that that gives them that advantage. They need to start then advocating uh, for women and and for gender balance. Then they need to become activists, actually doing things, not just talking about it. And then they need to get feedback uh, on what's happening, the kind of assessment phase, if you like, um, where they listen to what the impact they're having on women is of what they're doing, whether it's helping, uh, et cetera, and then adjusting what they're doing uh, to reflect the fact actually they've got their feedback and they should do something different, better, whatever. So those, you know, those are journeys that I, I think you know, men can go on. And I think a lot of these uh, leaders in organizations want to do that. One of the big challenges for them is if they do it, how do they get the rest of their team to do it? How do they get their employees in their organization to do it? You know, but, it, but that's the kind of journey we're talking about, I think, to, to really make a difference. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So um, I wanted to talk to you about this recent experience that we had, you know, with, with yourself, with a certain company that I will not mention, <laughs> you know, the, the large corporations in general who want to attract women into finance and technology, all that stuff, right? And over and over, we've had several cases of the, these so far where they come to us and they're like, 
oh my God, it looks like you've got an amazing talent pool that we want to tap into, right? And then we explain to them, okay, we do have women and they have transferable skills and they are uh, potentially, you could accelerate uh, the learning curve to put them through. For example, I, I spoke to um, a lady who is going to be one of our speakers in one of the upcoming events where she uh, mentioned that she puts people through a training regime for seven months from scratch, people who have no background whatsoever, and they will be in a position to start working in cybersecurity, um, you know, oh. from a, from ground up. But even during the seven months of learning, they can actually, as part of their learning, they can actually work with companies, right? So that's fascinating. And, and I asked her if, who is funding that. And she said, nobody, I'm just doing it myself because, you know, <laughs> because, you know, I think when you look at a lot of big corporations, they're like, yeah, we want to build a bigger talent pool of women um, to come into technical fields, but they're not willing to actually do what it takes. They're not willing to take them. Like we have meeting after meeting after meeting mm. and nothing ever happens. Why do you think that is? What is holding these companies back from really making a contribution to creating a, that talent pool? and opening up their criteria so that they're more flexible with bringing in people and then helping them accelerate, putting them through, you know, the training that it needs. Yeah, yeah I, I think uh, obviously the, the power of the kind of culture and the setup they've created already is, 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 very, is very powerful. I mean, you know, they, they probably feel that they've been successful with what they've done up to now. You know, why do they need to change uh, and, and, and what will be so good about doing things differently? And, and that, the kind of weight of that kind of culture and how they do things, uh, you know, is really hard to sort of uh, shift. Uh, and you need probably uh, a very enlightened CEO that says, look, you know, we're going to do things differently now and, you know, make that happen throughout the organization. Um, and it's and it's really kind of groundbreaking things like, for example, you know, rethinking the requirements for the top jobs. So, for example, does the CEO need to work 24-7, travel all the time, you know, uh, kind of uh, not have a home life, that kind of thing. You know, are there different ways could the CEO role be done by working flexibly or, you know, are there, are there other ways we could uh, uh, define um, that, that job to make it more interesting and appealing uh, to a, a wider range of, of, of talent? And similarly, you know, in recruitment, you know, it would mean recruiting from a wider talent pool and, you know, interviewing in a different way that would enable uh, diverse talent to really sort of thrive in that process. And those seem to be very big changes to the way that things are done at, at, at present. And so it takes quite a big shift uh, to, to, to make that change, which is why, you know, typically if you get the CEO on board, things can start to change. But even sometimes the CEO can be struggling with kind of a culture that's been so ingrained in the organization over years that this is the way we've always done things. Um, so I, I think the, the, the argument we used to hear, of course, was that there isn't a talent pool out there. You know, we can't find enough women. We can't find... Uh, enough diverse talent. Well, I think what you're doing with things like Fempeak is a way of answering creating. that question. And, yeah, yeah, creating, exactly, yeah. So so that's one thing that, that, that doesn't act as a barrier. But then they anymore. don't have the patience to... And, and one other observa observation, which is at least since I started Fempeak, you know, over the past, not even a year now, by the time this goes out, probably it's about a year, there's been probably around five or six large corporations that we've had this conversation with 
where the person that has approached me to discuss this has been a senior male, the first person, the first point of contact. But then they put me in touch with their HR teams and they are mostly women. And mm. that's where things stop. So there's always like a, a senior person who is trying to push for that. And then somehow when we get to the HR people, things get stuck. Now, I don't know if it's because the people in the HR are female or this has been the case every time. I mean, mm. I'm not talk- talking about it being all the time like that, but yeah. it's been my experience. Five, six companies. I mean, it's, it's big coincidence if it's a coincidence mm. is that yeah. I get approached by typically an MD person, right? And they say, we need to hire more women. I really love what you're doing. Can you help us? Then I have a few meetings and the final meetings come to meeting with people who actually work in HR. And at that point, I'm with a few women, right? And Mm. then they go and I don't hear back from them. And this happens every time. I wish I could understand why this is happening. (laughs) Well, I I guess one of the things is the extent to which HR has the power, the resources to change things uh, so that the company can move in a different direction. Uh, you know, because often, you know, like HR doesn't even sit on the board, for example, yeah. and is not necessary. I mean, HR often in many organizations is about just implementing kind of personnel policies almost, you know. Um, HR doesn't often act as the visionary, I mean, it should do, but it doesn't often act as the visionary, uh, the keeper of the culture, you know, this is where we need to go. Um, so there can be that gap, if you like, between the CEO and their commitment and what then the HR function can deliver. But of course, what you should be able to do then is kind of circle back to the CEO and say, hey, look, you know, this isn't going the way that you said you wanted it to go. Um, you know, how do we how do we navigate this? Uh, and you're trying to do it in a way without obviously going over the heads of HR, because that obviously would not make them very happy. But it, it's a common issue, I think, which is, you know, HR doesn't have the power, doesn't have the resources, um, and, and, and you know, doesn't sometimes have the imagination, if you like, to, to really uh, kind of push for that kind of really critical change that needs to happen. And, you know, if the CEO is not following up and saying, okay, like what is happening to the initiative that I kind of started, uh, then things can quite quickly grind to a halt. So I think you've got to keep the CEO engaged all along. Uh, uh, and that's not easy sometimes because, you know, they're busy people and they've, they've probably introduced you thinking, okay, fine, now it can happen. It can move on. Yeah. But, 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 but it's grinding to a halt because I think HR folk right. maybe don't yeah. share the vision. I think I think you're right. I think that definitely the person who makes that introduction, they would uh, need to be engaged throughout because otherwise um, it just goes cold. And uh, and I, I I kind of feel like I'm banging my head against the wall because I'm trying to identify you know women who are interested and there are many many of them. And then we want to put them through programs. Right. That's where the, the collaboration comes in uh, companies uh, put them through you know programs to to get them interested in those fields and and you know there are many people who are who have very good transferable skills and they would learn very quickly but I feel like the will is not really there. Um, mm. I feel like it's like they're looking for a quick solution most of the time but the ready-made solution isn't there and and essentially all these, big corporations, they're trying to fill their quota and they're just taking 
talent from one company and putting it in another company and it's just a very small pool of people so i don't know i feel like the will isn't there so what's the uh, solution for me i feel like the solution is to get women themselves interested and say look you there are all these opportunities these companies are really looking for women in these areas whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's trading whether it's you know um uh, artificial intelligence all that stuff so companies are looking for women in these areas uh, so if women uh, take the step to reskill and upskill um there there are opportunities and then we can you know help them find those opportunities yeah. but it would be helpful if like the mountain was coming to muhammad and muhammad yes. was coming to mountain as well yeah, yeah. Right? Like, yeah, like, yeah. it wasn't like it feels like we we're just pushing muhammad to go to the mountain you know? no i can fully understand that and and obviously that's some of the frustration of working in this whole kind of gender balance diversity and inclusion field it's kind of like uh, in so many ways uh, the business case for doing this stuff makes sense complete sense you know so why don't people get it you know uh, i th i think like all these things, it takes time because people's attitudes have to change. You know, we're hopeful that, you know, generations of leaders coming in uh, get this better. Uh, you know, that there's a recognition now that this is not just about profit. It's about also how we engage our customers, our people, etc. There are multiple reasons for why organizations kind of should be doing this um, and try, trying to get that message across. I, I think you have to keep talking to people to find the ones that do want to take it forward. There are some companies out there, I think, that do want to see change. There are some CEOs out there that do want to see change. You have to keep talking to a lot of them uh, to find the ones that really kind of want to make it happen, I, I suppose. Uh, and, and of course, where you have got case studies of success, it's really highlighting those uh, because obviously that can show, you know, companies what can be achieved if, if, if you can get that alignment. But the problem is that nobody seems to want to take that first step to become the case study you know yeah i know that's always the case isn't it that um you know people are kind of they want to be just behind the first leader as it were the first the, the, the first mover uh because you know, it could be risky being that first mover if it doesn't 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 pay off um but uh i think certainly uh you know i know of a number of of, of ceos who are kind of interested in, in kind of pursuing this so i think we should have discussions with them about okay so so what do they think gets in the way and you know, do they uh, feel that progress isn't uh, you know fast enough? So having more conversations, and I think inevitably uh, doing that with 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 men and women in the room, I think will help as well because uh, it's it's easy, I think, for for, for 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 you know a CEO to think, oh god, this is great. I'm doing all sorts of things that are sounding good, um, and uh, women are very happy that I'm saying all these great things, but actually I'm not being held to account for whether anything's changing or not. Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of the key things. And that's where, for example, investors can play a big role because uh, they can encourage companies, uh, you know, if they're publicly quoted, for example, the boards and the CEOs to C-suite to change uh, because they believe as investors that there's uh, more attractive to returns to be had if we have more uh, women in senior leadership and, and, and the top uh, ranks of the organization. Um, and, and, you know, I think... Um, going back to kind of why I invested in, in, in Fempi, really, for me, actually, it's because I recognize that uh, as a man throughout my working career, I've accumulated a number of advantages. And, you know, really, it's it's time for me to kind of invest in in, in, in female enterprises. And uh, I mean, I've done that with my time in women's networks, etc. This is just an extension of, of, of that. It's kind of me trying to show, I suppose, that 
I'm kind of walking the talk a little bit uh, and I'm by no means like, um, uh, you know, perfect in that way, but it's just that trying to do a little bit to say, yeah, this is actually, you know, a really worthwhile uh, thing to support, you know, because you're doing a great job, your organization's doing a great job. Um, and, you know, yeah, it also actually sounds if we get it right, we'll get more people listening, we could actually have a very fabulous business case and the upside could be huge. But it's that, you know, getting that shift, uh, uh, that tipping point where all of a sudden this becomes the way to do things as opposed to something that people are resisting. Yeah, definitely. And also one other experience that I've had quite a lot is that some gentleman who works in some big organization says, oh, I really like what you're doing. Let me introduce you to something, something women's fund, you know, mm -hmm. enterprise da, 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 that are going to support you, right? And then they put me in touch with somebody there, usually a woman. And then I have a conversation and I'm like, in the end, I'd be scratching my head thinking, why did I have this conversation? Like, what, what was this about, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it basically seems like there are a ton of organizations that have got uh, this women support thing name on it right and nothing has ever come out of any of these things you know in my experience and I've been pretty um I think I've built a really great as as we speak as of this recording we have over 35,000 people uh you know who have joined uh wow. right and the way that it's going uh, we are at around four to five hundred a day um you know that are joining our mailing list, and then we are slowly onboarding people to the platform. So I feel like we've built a real momentum and we've got some really amazing people, our Shapanis, our board members, you know, all that stuff. If I can't get any support, who can, <laughs> you know? Like, like, what are they looking for, you know? Like, what does it take to get more support for female-led startups, tech, tech startups, you know, that are really trying to build uh you know, build something and and make their way into the bigger you know wild wide wide world out there so um i don't know what your experience has been from being part of so many networks but how can we get from just networking and talking to actually seeing like, does anybody actually help women? How come I've not seen any, you know, like, I just feel like people just kind of pass you from one person to another. And, and that's why I gave up. I was like, I'm going to raise investment from my own network, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm going to, I'm going to take matters in my own hand. Because yeah. if I wait for government organizations, grants, givers, you know, all that stuff, you know, all, all, all these organizations that pretend maybe they don't pretend but i've not seen you know to mm. be helping helping women female led startups you know i don't actually know like sometimes people come to me and say how can i get help you know from uh, from all these grant bodies and then you know there are all sorts of enterprises how can you get help and i'm like to be honest i don't know because I think don't waste your time. Just go build your own network on LinkedIn, you know, create your own crowd. Don't wait for the government because, or, or not government, also big organizations, because they just talk and they just want to, you know, take a box and, and show that they are doing something. So, um, so I just wonder what is, like, as somebody like yourself being out there, being part of so many networks, 
is there any real benefit to spending the time to engage with these organizations uh, and how can women uh, startup leaders you know get any kind of um, support for what they're doing yeah um gosh i mean it, it, we are talking about something that's been an issue for many many years but as i said i think we are starting to see some shifts i think we are starting to see some some men for example and some ceos that really do take this more seriously I think working together maybe also can help. I mean, so for example, one of the things I was thinking as I was listening to you talk was uh, why don't we go together and talk to some of these organizations and, and, and see if together we craft a compelling message that they listen to. You know, I, I don't know, we've got to try a few different things. Sometimes I have found that if a man's involved in the conversation, it helps a bit, but it shouldn't be that way. Do, do you see what I mean? And that, that's the thing that frustrates me uh, quite a lot of the time. But I, I think anyway, let's talk to some of the CEOs that say that they are interested in this let's go together and let's see if we can get them to really commit to doing something and, and to doing more and then you know if we get a few of them uh maybe we create a bit of a momentum which then you know might persuade more to join but we're we're up against something that's been in place for a long time and things don't change that quickly you know unless there's some fabulous tipping point we reach if you like so um you know i want to be there with you on that journey to kind of get more gender balance to get more impact to get more opportunities uh, for women, and, and I think in a sense for, for men as well. But, you know, it will be, you know, effort we have to put in, we have to do it together, but that doesn't stop. I, I think what you're doing is great, you know, like saying, look, we women are going to do our own thing, we're going to get on with it, fantastic, you know, but um, let, let's also leave the door open to working together to try and bring, you know, more of these organisations in. There's no easy answer, I'm afraid. I, I don't have an easy answer to the, uh, to the question. Yeah, and um, it kind of proves my point in a way, you know, that, Ultimately, uh, I do think, yes, you're right. I think there are people out there who would like to make changes, but um, maybe it's not high enough on their priority on their agenda. But, you know, I'm a bit of an anarchist. I've always been a bit of a rebel. Not a bit. I've been, a, I've been actually, my rebellion is one of the things I'm very proud of. <laughs> you know, I, I remember one of my proudest memories is that uh, I was 19 when I started working in the Dutch embassy in Tehran. And they made a change to the way that they would pay us, where it would mean that that was the time, I think around, I can't remember if it had something to do with euro, dollar, or something like that. But anyway, so, so it was something that meant that we would take home about 15 to 20% less salary. And we were sitting in a big meeting and nobody picked up on that. You know, like they said, yeah, we are going to do this change. And from now on, you're going to get paid in like this currency and things are changing. And I did a calculation in my head and I realized that actually we are going to get paid less. So I went home, uh, sat down, did the paper calculation again, made sure that I was right. And then I picked up the phone and called all of my colleagues one by one. And uh, I explained to them and caused a strike. And we had a strike at the Dutch embassy in Tehran for three days where we wouldn't give oh. anybody a visa. We were like, you know, we wouldn't talk to anyone. And I was like, I'm so proud of that because that caused the management, you know, the ambassador here at the time, they're like, uh, they realized um, that this was not fair and they changed that. So we went back to getting paid the way that we were getting. So I think, you know, that's the kind of thing that the way I've always seen is like, it's so hard to negotiate to come to agreement with big organizations that you have to force your way, mm. you know, either you have to force your way or you are going to have to build something 
parallel, which is going to become so big that they can't ignore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I love that. And I love that concept of anarch- uh, being an anarchist. I mean, I, I'm now going to add a seventh A, which is like, after having been an activist, I now become an anarchist. Uh, <laughs> the trouble is people are already struggling with the word activist because they think it's got political overtones, which which maybe it has. But I mean, what I really mean is just someone that takes action. And, and, you know, maybe an anarchist is someone that takes action without waiting for any kind of permission. They just, you know, kind of go out there and disrupt. I mean, another word for it is disruption. Disruption, it? yes. And what, what we want to do is we want to disrupt kind of cosy setup that there seems to be at the moment where, you know, it's great for certain groups to revel in the privilege and the advantage that they have without sort of sharing that and to making equal opportunities. And I think I'm kind of with you in trying to work together to create a more equal world where I think both women and men and and the other genders uh, kind of really benefit from this. So I think it's about, you know, working together uh, on this and trying to bring about the world we want to see. And it involves a lot of, you know, getting out there, talking to people, convincing them, working with them. You know, like I said, I'm involved in this workshop on Friday where we're going to be taking, you know, a group of male leaders through this whole, why do I want to do this kind of, uh, why do I want to become an activist? You know, what am I going to commit to? And um, we need to do a bit more of that, I think, to really uh, then start to change things and uh, definitely i'm with you things can't stay the same they have to change because we want a better world well i think that's uh that's the best place to end the conversation because on a positive note um thank you rob it's been great talking to you and thank you for all your support today pleasure, <laughs> pleasure. thank you thank you so much I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Rob Baker. We really need more men like Robert in the diversity and inclusion space. And I really hope that he can inspire many others to get involved and actively support women, in particular in business and technology. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. You can also find the full video of these conversations on my YouTube channel. Oh, and connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or Clubhouse at Somi Ariane. Finally, if you're not yet a member of Fempeak, head over to fempeak.ai, register, and join a community that actively supports women's professional growth.